the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you kindly, sir, and good afternoon. Welcome. It is just five minutes after five o'clock here on this Tuesday, April 14th edition of Lifeline. We've got a jam-packed program for you today and some interesting revelations that I think will um, will encourage you when it's all said and done. Uh, kind of working backwards, coming up tonight in the second hour, we're going to be joined by our friend and Bible study teacher, Dawn Scott Damon. You remember her? She conducted our Freedom Challenge, the 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You study series. Well, she's going to be with us along with her husband, Paul, to talk about a very fascinating experience with COVID-19 one that is tremendously personal. And uh, in wake of some of the controversy regarding um, recent stricter shelter-in-place regulations put in place by the governor of Michigan, where Dawn is from, I think you'll find that quite the uh, quite the interesting conversation. Also, speaking of um, shelter-in-place regulations, more and more churches are being cited for failing to do so. So we've asked constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute to join us to talk a bit about that. As we've watched the current shelter-in-place order and the impact of COVID-19 impact virtually every aspect of American life, I wonder if you thought for a moment about what happens to people that have a lot less to begin with. Namely, what happens to people that were already facing difficult financial challenges leading into this crisis, maybe up to and including being homeless, dealing with drug addiction and substance abuse. Well, some insights towards that impact as we're joined by Reverend John Anderson, the executive director of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. And um, John, I would imagine for those of us that are frustrated having to shelter in place are probably the envy of those that have no place typically to call home. Craig, it's really true. The impact of the coronavirus has been really significant among the homeless and desperately needy. Many of the people that come to the Bay Area Rescue Mission looking for a meal to spend a night in our emergency shelter, or even for the people who are near homeless in our community that may well have uh, an inexpensive apartment or, or a little house that they're renting someplace, are being almost doubly impacted by the effects of uh, most of the jobs that they were holding or trying to struggle with are gone. And so we're seeing a great increase in the number of people that are coming to the rescue mission in great need. You know, the surprising thing is that even in spite of the phenomenal numbers that we had seen on Wall Street and the lowest unemployment numbers, uh, certainly in the last 50 years, up to March 
of this year. Um, we have returned back to not just the times of the Great Recession, but arguably this could even be worse. It's just perhaps too early to tell. But one thing we certainly know, and that is that as America eventually gets back to business and work once again, it's going to be a very different place. And there will be some people that were perhaps gainfully employed in January and February of this year who no longer have a job and no prospects of any, putting more downward pressure on the entire ministry of the Bay Area Rescue Mission because all of this translates into a major spike in the need for ministry services, everything from emergency housing to certainly providing meals for the hungry and homeless. Let's talk about that for a moment. Before we came on air today, you mentioned to me that over the course of just the last month, less than 30 days, in fact, the Bay Area Rescue Mission has more than doubled the output of meals being provided. That's a pretty significant increase. Well, it is, Craig. And when you consider that the mission uh, traditionally in our dining room alone, not counting the food baskets that we hand out or food bags to the people in the community, but in our dining room alone, uh, typically we're preparing and serving in the neighborhood of 15 to 20,000 meals each and every month. But in the last month now, that number has doubled. So the increase in expenses that we're experiencing uh, it's basically increased by $30,000 each month just to provide the extra meals that are needed in our dining room, not to mention the uh, many thousands more that go out through our food pantry to those people who are near homeless in our community. I would imagine, too, that there's been a major shift in how the Bay Area Rescue Mission engages in ministry because you have the shelter-in-place orders, because you have to deal with addressing the individuals that perhaps normally volunteer, and you have hundreds of volunteers from churches across the Bay Area every month that give of their time to the Bay Area Rescue Mission. A lot of those folks, perhaps not only under shelter-in-place orders, but perhaps also in certain health categories that put them in high risk and therefore not able to come and volunteer at all. All of this has got to make what you are doing right now not only so critically important, but very challenging. It has, and it does as well, Craig. You know, on a weekly basis, every week at the Bay Area Rescue Mission, prior to the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic outbreak, we were averaging 250 volunteers every week. And those volunteers contributed 400 hours of service uh, to help us do the ministry that we're doing. Since the outbreak of the virus, uh, we basically trying to uh, follow the orders and ordinances of the Bay Area County's Health and Services Department have suspended the use of all volunteers. So it's like 10 full-time employees that we weren't paying that are gone uh, during this time. In addition, about 40% of our staff are either above 65 years of age or have some pre-existing health conditions that would put them in a high-risk category. So some of those people are working from home, doing ministry and counseling, but uh, a lot of them, you know, it's just things like housekeeping and preparing meals and serving and teaching Bible studies and doing chapel services that uh, we're really scrambling just to uh, 
do the basics to get by with the 60% of staff that is still left working at the mission, and yet the number of people coming in for help and hope has dramatically increased. So a lot of stress on resources, both human and financial, at a time when there is such a significant uptick in the need. And of course, along with this, to keep it in perspective, um, there's been some good news in that the response of people that have been attending chapel over the last month, I understand, uh, in fact, just since the beginning of April, has been incredible, especially so for those who, in the midst of this crisis, perhaps evaluating their own life, have made a decision for Christ. Tell us more about that. Well, well, the number of people attending chapel has remained pretty constant uh, uh, for the last 12 months. During the last month, uh, especially since the 1st of April, the number of people accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior at the chapel, at the Bay Area Rescue Mission, has dramatically increased. Uh, Since the 1st of April, we've had more than 225 men and women who have accepted Christ as their Savior. As, like you said, people are concerned. They're looking at their own destiny and deciding that God is using this to, to wake them up, to help them to see their desperate need for Christ as their Savior. Let's talk specifics here, John. I know that normally when we spend time together during the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, we're talking about providing extra meals for needy families, an uptick in people that need shelter during the inclement weather of the San Francisco Bay Area, and wanting to certainly make people's holidays a bit brighter by providing meals for needy families and individuals, as well as providing toys for needy kids at Christmas time. This is not Christmas time. This is just sort of the the normal cycle of the year for the Bay Area Rescue Mission with a significant increase on need and certainly a significant challenge in relationship to resources, both human and financial. Uh, Let's talk a bit about how we can make a difference. During this critical and unexpected need, um, I would imagine both prayer and financial support is really going to be very, very important to the Bay Area Rescue Mission at this time. It is indeed, Craig. Now, no one really plans uh, uh, financially, budget-wise, uh, in an organization like a rescue mission for such a pandemic-type uh, event that has so many impacts, uh, losing volunteers, losing staff, uh, the increased expense of meals, uh, the increased expense of just keeping the facilities super clean. We, we basically went from sanitizing everything once a day to doing it three and sometimes four times a day. The expense of providing uh, what the county has mandated now, uh, reasonably, I think, for providing uh, face, mouth, and nose masks for everyone that walks through our doors. That, that's staff and program members, as well as those coming in for short-term emergency shelter. And, and even just to receive meals, everyone receives a mask. And when you add up all of those things, that's a lot of funds that we just really didn't plan for in our budget for this year. But yet we have to do it because we're committed to sharing the gospel with everyone who's in need and to stay in compliance with the county regulations and local regulations and state regulations. Uh, We have to do those things to keep people safe. And that's what we want to do as well. 
We so often talk about the ministry of the Bay Area Rescue Mission being that of life and death. And at this time in particular, those words were never truer. Right now, the Bay Area Rescue Mission needs your help. Extra donations to purchase face masks, hand sanitizer, and food to provide all of those extra meals John Anderson spoke about a moment ago, more than double the normal monthly output. Go online right now to bayarearescue.org and make your donation. Please help to provide meals and shelter, but most importantly, the hope of the gospel, especially at this time. These times, of course, are desperate and the needs are great, yet the power of Jesus Christ is even greater. Please make as generous a donation as you can today. Simply go to bayarearescue.org and click on the Donate Now button. That's bayarearescue.org and click on the Donate Now button. John, I know that these are uncertain times right now and moving ahead. We don't know how fluid the situation is going to be in terms of things changing. I guess the one thing that's constant here is the opportunity to really impact the Bay Area for Christ through the work and ministry of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Well, it is indeed, Craig, and that's why uh, just as important as financial donations, I want to encourage our listeners to be in prayer for the homeless, for the desperately needy, as well as the staff that is working in these, uh, shall we say, challenging, if not dangerous, uh, situations uh, that we're in even today. You know, it was just uh, a few days ago that we learned of a major outbreak in a sheltered-like facility in the city of San Francisco. And, you know, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen or that it might not happen, even at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. But I will say this, giving God all the uh, praise and honor and glory, that uh, even though we have sent 40 people out to be tested that had some of the symptoms for the coronavirus that were staying at the mission, that uh, none of the people sent out from the Bay Area Rescue Mission to this point have tested positive. So we do feel the prayers of God's people and uh, God's protecting hand. Again, now is an opportunity to stand with the Bay Area Rescue Mission as it needs extra donations to purchase things like face masks, hand sanitizer, and to provide the resources to keep all of those extra meals flowing for everyone that needs one. Go to bayarearescue.org and make your donation right now. Please help provide meals and shelter, and most importantly, the hope of the gospel. Times are indeed desperate, the needs are great, and yet the power of Christ is even greater. Make that donation today. Go to bayarearescue.org and click on the Donate Now button. That's bayarearescue.org. Isn't it great to know that in the midst of all these challenges, God is still in control. Reverend John Anderson with the Bay Area Rescue Mission, online at bayarearescue.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Interesting dichotomy in these challenging times. While Planned Parenthood has complained vigorously about governors in certain states that have attempted to shut down abortion on demand for a variety of reasons, not least of which is putting the uh, health priority of the unborn child um, on 
on on hyper, which is where it needs to be, because we 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 see the abortion industry certainly denying unborn children any of the rights that they should have. Um, but as much as they complain about that, they've been strangely silent in states like California, where governors have been doing just the opposite, working toward making sure that abortion on demand is not only available everywhere, but making sure that you pay for it. Let's get some insights. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, host of Life Matters, heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX, joins us. And and Brian, I suppose coming out of California, we shouldn't be surprised. Well, Craig, yeah, that's right. And I think there's something very significant about this this COVID-19 situation as well. And that is this. As you have pointed out, our governor supports abortion at all times, uh, regardless of the medical condition of mother or child. He supports all abortions all the time, just for choice. And he has made that public. He's invited women from across the United States to come here for their abortions. He is, he's taken an oath to choice. He's, he is committed. Now, the problem is that here in California, the state of California, our legislature has removed the guidelines even for cleanliness in abortion clinics. And you can see that online. We published that at California Pro-Life, where if you go to the regulations for the state of California, because of our radical legislature, they've removed the regulations that had been on abortion clinics. So now it's the, the least possible of cleanliness standards, and it's alarming in the era of covid that, that this would continue. And I think there's a parallel. And the parallel is this, and you're seeing that now in the attacks on the president. A lot of those who see government as the answer, a lot of them are promoting a sense of fear, a sense of uncertainty, a sense of desperation. And that's exactly the formula that promotes abortion. Oh, you're pregnant. Oh, you don't know what the future holds. Oh, you don't know. There's, we don't know what's going on. You have to, here's an answer. Here's a very quick and easy answer. We'll provide it. The government will provide it for free. And a lot of young women are pushed into abortion. And I dare say now at this time when really our culture is kind of living in fear, um, the abortion clinics are wide open. And so there's young pregnant women that are being encouraged, well, gosh, what will happen to my baby? And this is just how they operate. I am also noting, and I think you have too, Craig, that when hope is offered, for example, the president weeks ago mentioned the successful studies in France. They're demonstrable. They have been proven correct. I've looked into that studies and others, those studies. There are many studies that show that hydroxychloroquine, and again, a very specific drug, the World Health Organization has said it's one of the safest drugs. And yet, when he said there's hope, he was immediately attacked. Immediately. There should not be hope, not from the president for sure. We will not. And I've noticed several, several media types and political types that are condemning the use of hydroxychloroquine because it offers hope. And I think it's important for us to realize that is the same theme behind abortion and killing, is that, no, you're hopeless, 
this is your only answer. And we have to recognize that there's something, there's a spiritual battle that we're in the middle of. And it's very easy to forget that as we see these circumstances, as we see the media hype urgency, and there's constant drumbeat of different public policy procedures that need to control people and all take their lives in the case of abortion. There's deeper spiritual issues at stake, and hope is to be robbed. Well, and I think one of the things here, too, Brian, is is to keep in mind that the the notion that there is what, as you're describing, is a total, utter disregard for the well-being of the very women that the abortion industry suggests that it's there to help, and that is the woman that comes in with an unplanned pregnancy. Um, You know, it, it has been a long time that we've railed against the notion that the standards are not as tight for what is clearly an invasive operational procedure and yet the standards are not as tight the reporting is not as tight you probably get more information out of the average veterinary clinic as to how many animals come in to be spayed and neutered every year than we do in relationship to the number of problems and i'm putting my air quotes here problems that arise from botched and complicated abortions because that side of the story they don't want to tell and so the fact that there's an extension of utter disregard for the health of a woman who may come in seeking advice seeking counsel for an unplanned pregnancy walk out not only having been forced essentially coerced essentially into having that abortion but having that abortion performed in an environment that may also threaten not only her, her life from the standpoint of the, the, the risk associated with all types of abortion, but then, too, with the risk of COVID-19 being completely disregarded, I think demonstrates that this is really all about the money. This has very little to do with wanting to look after women, support women's rights, make sure that they, their right to privacy is protected. I mean, that, that, that's just sort of the, the, the window dressing to the real agenda, wouldn't you say? It sure looks that way. In fact, it's somewhat inescapable. And really, I think that this particular national emergency, if not worldwide emergency, is revealing a lot of deeper issues. And again, back to our governor, we have joined in with CANR, which is the California Association for Nursing Home Reform, because the governor has said he's concerned about nursing homes, and all of us should be, by the way. And when you listen to Life Matters, last week we spoke specifically about nursing homes and how you can still, we don't want to walk away. We're told, don't go to nursing homes. No, those are the most vulnerable human beings right now. And that's known. There's things that you can do. But this governor, ironically, was very light in talking about nursing homes. And we've joined with Kenner, California Association for Nursing Home Reform, urging him to take more effective methods. This is the most vulnerable members of our population. These are individuals that apparently in Italy, there was news in last month that that if you're over 60, doctors, an Israeli doctor had volunteered there, said he was told to not treat patients over 60. In fact, I just read today that they've now opened up an investigation, a homicide investigation, into one of Italy's largest nursing care facilities for that very reason, because they suspect uh, that there is more than just neglect taking place. That's right. And so we're seeing that in this time of emergency, it reveals character. 
And that's really at stake in the right to life. What we're saying in the right to life is that the reason you've been given authority, you're strong, you have a position of power, but it's not for you, and it's not to maintain more power. We are given our responsibilities on behalf of others. And that is why the right to life exists. That's what our founders said. That's the duty of government, to protect the lives of the innocent. They were given their lives not by government. It's a gift from our Creator. That's what America's founders said. And a just government must protect the lives of the most vulnerable. So that's a form of euthanasia, what you're seeing in Italy, and people casually accept it because I think, we've talked about this before, we've been taught, you know, the lifeboat morality. Oh, there's Mm -hmm. certain people, it's better, you know, and I know Christians that haven't thought it through. You've become a moral relativist if you accept the lifeboat mentality. Oh, these certain people, well, they're not that productive. These certain people aren't that useful. These certain types of babies, oh, those kind of babies... They're a burden. Let's look for them and kill them first. This is relativism. It's moral and ethical relativism. And if you aren't a Christian and you aren't looking at your own thoughts about this, you'll be taken because our culture is pushing relativism. So we've asked the governor now because everyone knows at the nursing homes are the most vulnerable members of our society. They have diminished uh, self protection because of their you know, age or other illnesses, and so they're an immediate risk, and he is not taking the steps to actually prepare them. He mentions them in passing yeah. like, a, like an object, but that's his job as a governor is to protect the most vulnerable from being killed. And well, and part of this, I think, just goes to the heart of the the uh, the issue that we've seen with him since uh, since day one, and that is that when he went into office, uh, there was a clear indication that it was going to be essentially a, a smorgasbord available for Planned Parenthood. They were going to meet the one governor that would be the most generous when it came to um, underscoring um, abortion on demand, abortion even at the expense of taxpayers, and sadly, this governor is following through on his promises. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Check out Brian's program. He dives into these issues in much more depth every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on Life Matters. Details available. Check it out at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. 551, a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You might have read the very sad story that in the wake of the COVID-19 virus, a pastor in Virginia who defiantly had held church services in spite of sheltered-in-place orders has now lost his life to the disease. And it demonstrates, I think, a very delicate balance between what are our God-given rights, what are our constitutional rights, how do we stand up for the sake of the gospel and the cross, and at the same token, have a, a measured, metered response to all that's going on so that we're not putting people that are vulnerable at risk. It's one thing to say we're standing up against the authority of Rome that is persecuting Christians and we need to uh, defend the gospel. It's another thing to look in the face of real and present danger and go, 
let's talk a bit about um, a special workshop that's going to be available on Thursday. And we get more details now from constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Attorney Brad Dacus. And, uh, Counselor, as always, we appreciate spending some time with you. Uh, I know that this is this has been frustrating for a lot of pastors and, frankly, church members who, you know, like we all did on Sunday, most of us at least, kind of did church in a very different way. And, you know, we had to kind of uh, lift ourselves up by the bootstraps. We missed the fellowship. We used the, the music and the singing and the church rightly decorated to celebrate our risen Savior. And with those components sort of um, absent, made it feel like a very different Easter. But let's talk about some concerns. There have been communities all across the country, um, including here closer to home and communities like Lodi, for example, where pastors have steadfastly refused to cooperate with the shelter-in-place orders. And this does raise some levels of potential liability. Speak to that, if you would, and tell us more about um, this opportunity that pastors have to learn more about what their rights and responsibilities are coming up this Thursday. Oh, you bet, uh, Craig. I, yeah, the, the fact is, um, you know, there's there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uh, fear out there. Uh, I would say first off that uh, churches uh, they need to be very prudent in understanding their their liability issues. So, when a church knowingly and willfully uh, violates uh, the law when it comes to restrictions and uh, that are uh, very clear, and they, they violate that, and someone is injured because of that, there's some liability that can uh, kick in there that, that they may not be covered for as far as insurance uh, is concerned. Uh, that's a, a legal dimension to it. And on the other side, well, the fact is, some of these restrictions that have come down, Craig, have been outrageous. Uh, telling people they can't have a parking lot service where people are in their cars with their windows rolled up, uh, and yet there's no problem whatsoever for them going to a drive-in and having a, uh, you know, sitting in the parking lot within their cars, uh, eating their foods all there, sitting there in the drive in the, in the drive-in. Um, there's a, there a clear double standard, and we saw that uh, one judge in Kentucky uh, make it very clear to strike that down and to, um, you know, as, 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 as unconstitutional as he should. In addition, uh, though, we also have uh, things that are changing all the time in terms of uh, mandates and, um, and restrictions, and uh, that's why we at Pacific Justice Institute have that conference call for Thursday, tomorrow at uh, 2 p.m. We're going to deal with what uh, churches are with regard to the rights, how things are changing very quickly, and uh, they're putting them in a stronger position, but also uh, how they can uh, take advantage of uh, resources like uh, out of the, the Federal Care Act, which uh, many churches don't realize can actually benefit churches in helping them in their financial um, needs for assistance at this time, as long, along with the small businesses and, and private Christian schools. Is that going to be a territory that you have to very carefully uh, sort of negotiate? Because I always get the sense, and, and forgive me for being a doubter here, but uh, any time that something comes in uh, provided as a benefit from the government and it's going directly to or may benefit um, a, a faith-based organization, that always seems to come with some pretty severe strings attached. And <laughs> usually that is the case, and uh, and we are very cynical when, when we see government do that. Uh, however, this time, uh, the this president uh, and his administration worked very cooperatively with uh, people from, like, for example, the Family Research Council and others to make sure that this was indeed something that was uh, benevolent, 
uh, making sure that uh, those employees working for churches were treated with the same respect as those from other uh, small businesses. And, uh, and there really are no ideological uh, compromises. Also, it's, it's not a, a permanent you know, program, a uh, new expansion of government for the next 100 years. Um, quite the contrary, it's, it's very short-term. That's uh, two and a half months uh, to help churches, um, you know, do, like, uh, get over the hump. The, the sad thing, Craig, is, is churches about have suffered tremendously in terms of their, their, their ties, their support, has gone down dramatically because you have a lot of people who aren't working and don't have income, and so they're taking a, a big hit, too. And so churches and synagogues are going to, uh, we, we don't want them to, to, to fold uh, either and have to rebuild uh, so uh, they're all, uh, irrespective of their religious background or religious denomination, all being treated fairly and equally. And, and I think this is a, a program for the short term that is, is very safe. And I think the other thing to be mindful of, and that is that not only are churches um, suffering because folks are not working, the cash flows in there, not, they're not going to church, so they're obviously not dropping their offering in the, uh, in the um, basket, but moreover, uh, there can be extended circumstances here that can have a negative impact on the community because churches do so much in terms of supporting community and, and providing resources and everything from be it after-school programs for children to uh, food programs, things of this sort. And while some of that right now um, has been modified out of an abundance of caution, there are aspects that uh, the churches are greatly relied upon. And of course, without the sources, resources coming in, all of that is severely impacted. If folks want to register and get more information, pastors in particular, um, for the conference call on Thursday, is that available directly then through the Pacific Justice Institute website? Uh, yeah, they can sign up on the, what they do is sign up for the Legal Insider. It's, it's uh, on the right-hand corner, sign up for Legal Insider. Uh, they should sign up for that, and uh, we'll be sure and, uh, and uh, make sure that people who sign up on uh, for that are uh, receive the information to be able to sign in to, to the conference call. Uh, but they need to do it uh, tonight so that we have it first thing tomorrow morning and we can send them that information uh, on time before 2 p.m. But it's going to be very helpful. We've helped hundreds and hundreds of churches and also hundreds of, of small business owners and, um, and, and even private schools, 170 private schools, uh, be able to uh, look at this and take advantage of this opportunity that they as they need, as well as understand what their rights are. We've been extremely busy at Pacific Justice Institute uh, over the last uh, 30 days, and we uh, expect it to continue for uh, a good bit here. Now, uh, Brad, just one little order of business, if I might. I I'm, I'm chuckling here only because usually I get to make this mistake. Um, this conference call is going to be on Thursday the 16th, correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. <laughs> Thursday and, and then the 16th. today would only be w Tuesday, so... <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> they have more very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You said today, tomorrow, a couple of times. I thought, wait a minute here. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm working. I'm working too hard here. I, I'm losing. Brother, I'm not laughing day. at you. I'm laughing with you because yeah. normally I'm the one who makes that mistake. So no, we appreciate uh, it, though. Thank you. And uh, you are you are working hard as you always do on behalf of the church, and we're and we're so um, uh, proud of the work that you do, and we appreciate so much the effort and difference that the Pacific Justice Institute makes. Information again about that particular conference call that will be coming up on Thursday, the 16th at 2 o'clock. Details go to pji.org. That's PJI, think Pacific Justice Institute, PJI. 
dot o-r-g there is constitutional lawyer sometimes chronically challenged <laughs> president and founder of the pacific justice institute brad dacus six o'clock from kfax san francisco get you a quick update on traffic right now don scott damon returns and we're going to talk about she and her husband's experience being diagnosed with covid19 coming up next right now though traffic